Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, you could, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece-of-crap, cheapo cars and that, that were really no match, but he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Please truck, go ahead and roll.
Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. I think there was 12 days off in 16 months when I first started there. 12 days. I remember all 12 of them. The caution comes out when they're on pit road, and Kyle gasps it up, and he hauls ass, and he wow. goes in between me and pit wall. I don't know, about 120, with about seven feet of room and a six-foot car. We'll just start with go over the pit wall, make an adjustment. I hesitate, go back to the with the wedge wrench. They drop the jack, he takes off, and the wedge wrench is in the car. All hell broke loose. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing show place, and a track that truly does care about NASCAR history. Steve, I don't know about you, bud, but I am at a complete and utter loss right now. Rick, so am I. For weeks now, we had planned to start with the first installment of our interview with Ryan Pemberton this week. You and I got together as always yesterday and recorded our silliness. This morning, I got up bright and early to get the episode edited. I did that and I got it posted to Patreon before lunchtime. And within minutes, I got a text from Keith Rodden, who is Austin Dillon's crew chief over at Richard Childress Racing. And Keith said, thank goodness you got Ryan. And, you know, I get that kind of message all the time from people in the sport. They'd worked with that person or this one, and they proceed to tell me how great that person is. Or they tell me what I got wrong in the interview. (laughs) (laughs) So I really didn't think anything about Keith's text. I sent him a message back saying, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good interview and I left it at that. But then just a few minutes later, I got a text from Jamie Bishop and Steve, this one just about knocked me out of my chair. Jamie said, just heard Ryan Pemberton died. I got it confirmed with a couple of other people. And very sadly, Ryan did pass away very unexpectedly yesterday on Sunday, January 14th. And I... I could not believe it. We had met at our studio on December 7th. I planned to start running it this week of all weeks, and it was already edited and filed to Patreon. But with that news, we obviously wanted to do something different to honor Ryan. So we're going to go ahead and run that first installment of our interview. Then we're going to come back with a short farewell, and that's going to be it for this week's episode. Rick, it's about all we could do. It's really stunning news about Ryan. I still have not recovered. And as a reminder, this show is not affiliated in any way with American City Business Journal's owner of the same brand. How did you get into racing first time? Because I know, obviously, Robin had started in the early 80s with the petties how did you get into it um you know our family moved to north carolina moved to greensboro and um you know uh he's 12 years older than i i am so i was still in 
grades. I was still in middle school when we, when we moved down, but you know, he worked for Richard Petty, which was in Randleman, which is you know like 15 miles down the road, basically from where, where we were living in Greensboro. And uh, I just really liked, you know, love that the racing part of it. Um, we grew up around racing yeah, in in uh, New York. Um, you know, it was a dirt track down the road, Albany Saratoga Speedway. So it was always kind of around it when I was little, even though that we were, my brother and I were 12 years apart. But uh, yeah, I got a chance to go to the race shop, uh, Petty Enterprise, when I was, you know, a young teenager. And uh, I was just, you know, in love with it. And uh, went to a lot of races, went to all the local races. You could go to Martinsville and Darlington, Rockingham, Charlotte. Bristol, like you could go all those, you could go to a lot of races, um, being right there in Greensboro. So in Richmond, I forgot about Richmond, but, um, uh, when they had a chance to Robin, uh, he went to a couple different teams and when Robin and Steve Meal started Roush racing, they uh, moved it to Liberty, um, North Carolina, which was about 25 miles from where I was in, in Greensboro. And uh, I was in high school and I would go over there every day after school and, work at the shop, hang out. Um, I was in playing basketball at the time in high school, so th- that started taking up some of my time. And uh, after hanging out a lot over there and then being able to have to miss uh, going to the shop after after school because I had basketball, some of the guys were like, hey, where's Ryan? Right? And uh, I think that's when they decided to hire me. You know, they, I, I started doing enough stuff where when I wasn't there, they needed me. So yeah. uh, I kind of leveraged them into a job there. <laughs> that, was a, that would have been in the fall of 87. Okay. At Roush. At Roush. Okay. Liberty, North Carolina. Okay. Before they started actually competing. Before. before okay. Yeah. All right. What were you doing? Uh, whatever they told me to do. I, had, I was young, a lot of energy, and, I, you know, you start with, like everybody says, you really start with cleaning up stuff, right? Yeah. The broom and this, that, and the other. But, uh, you know, I, I started fabricating pretty quick, pretty early. Um, taught myself how to weld. So that, that became a great tool. And uh, built oil tanks and all, all kinds of stuff, at, you know, right off the bat. I'm looking at a gas can you got sitting right here. I've made, you know, hundreds of those, right, back yeah. in the day. Um, trying to make the next one better. So a lot of aluminum well oil tanks. Um, gas cans, fabricating, crush panels, things like that. And it was a great place to work when you're young because there was a lot of, um, there was a, you know, I'd say a lot of good guys. They're, they're all good guys. There wasn't that many of them back then, right? So yeah. you had maybe 12 of us on a race team. Um, you're talking about painting the car, building the car, going to the racetrack. There was only 12 of us that were doing it um, total. So, yeah, you got a chance to do a lot of different things. And, uh I started traveling with the team and doing tires on the road, and that was probably my, you know, my main job. Uh, uh, what you know, people would notice the most, you know, back then at the racetrack, you know, uh, that was in the days of Goodyear, Hoosier. There was a lot of tires being going around. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was an extremely big job back then, um, and their buy supplies, you're measuring all the time. But uh, yeah, started there and and um, worked there for a couple of years, then went to Yates. Went to Sabco Racing, and then went uh, got my first crew chief job at uh, in '95 uh, with uh, Larry Pearson, and um, did that. Then started MB2 Motorsports, 
Oh, we'll, we'll get to all that. So we'll get to I all get that. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I, I'm just <laughs> rambling here. You yeah, asked me yeah, something out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what was it like having your older brother, not only as your older brother, but as your boss? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of good things with that. One was he's really good, and, he, you know, he had that to lean on. Um, and, and, you know, I, I equally respected Steve Meal at the time. Um, you know, both those guys had – we're running that team, um, and they both had their different strengths. And um, so, I, you know, I, I used both of those guys to to be better. Um, but working for your brother is uh, puts a lot of extra pressure. You, you you couldn't do anything wrong. Although, you know, if somebody else made a mistake, you go, oh, hey, he made a mistake. If I made a mistake, it was because I was the crew chief's brother, right? So I had to that, – that helped me be really um, conscious of doing a great job because I couldn't afford to let anybody think that I was there because of that, if that makes sense. Did anybody ever in a moment of frustration say that? Or no. did you ever sense that? Or was no. that self-inflicted pressure? That was self-inflicted pressure. I, I, I think I worked – back then, worked really hard, really fast, had a lot of energy – I'm 18 years old. Yeah, yeah. I got I, I had more energy than anybody. So, um, you know, I, I think that that carried me through of being a guy like I was ready to help at any time. I just love learning, love doing things. So, uh, I think I was a friend to a lot of those guys because I could help them. From what I understand from both Steve and Robin, they've both been on the podcast. The going was a little rough. At first, I know oh, that yeah. at the very beginning in 1987, you guys kind of went into it expecting to do a limited schedule. And then at the media tour or whatever, Jack stood up and announced that you guys were going to run the full schedule. <laughs> do you remember anything about that? And no. if, do you not? No. I mean, like I said, I was, I was, I mean, I was still in school, high school, um, you know, deciding on whether I'm going to college. Right, that was the plan up until the last minute, and I just I went uh, showed back up at the shop. I showed back up at Darlington for the tire test. Believe it or not, like my brother and Steve were like, "Hey, I thought you're I thought you're going to school," and I was like, ah, "I'm I'm here with you guys." And they're like, "You sure that's the right decision?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm in." Have you asked mom? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, what was mom and daddy's reaction? That, uh, they, they didn't care. I don't think they cared. I think they knew I was doing the, what I wanted to do. So, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was good times. So you're. So, I mean, to get back to you, I, I don't remember. It was such a blur. I don't remember the, those particulars of what Jack or whatever. I mean, at that time, I, I don't even know if I've ever even met Jack. So, 1988, you go to the Daytona 500. That was your first race. Mm-hmm. Now, had you you'd been to other races, obviously. Oh yeah, I've you know I've been the you know. I mean, I wasn't old enough to be, you know, I'd sneak in the garage and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was around it, but I'd never worked for a race team. All right. You know, when you, you were... Um, so Daytona 88 was your first race, yeah. basically, as, as the... Yeah, as I was 18 the, years old. Okay, yeah. all right. You know, I had to sign, you know, waivers to be able to be even be in, get in the garage and all that stuff. All right, so 1988, Mark... And you guys, you're not able to break into victory lane. No. How much pressure was that? 
or again, were you 18 and I'm 18? I don't know. I you don't, don't know care. The difference. I mean, I know we're going at it wide open as hard as you can. You know, I, obviously, I'm a kid. Really, I'm 18 years old. Like you know, like, um, doing whatever they tell me to do, going wherever they tell me to go, and I'm in. So uh, you could sense that there's a lot of pressure, and uh, but there was enough upsides yeah. everywhere that yeah. you know you felt you felt uh-huh. right. We were going places and being running well and having good days and running up front. So it's not like, hey, it's not there. You know, you could sense that it was there. That it's at any moment it's going to happen. You know. Tell me a good Mark Martin story from back in that that time frame. You know, know, it's one of those things where I I wish I – it was so busy back then. It was really hard to absorb everything that was going on. For me, going – working and doing all stuff, like, it was just wide open, consuming a lot of things. I mean, we worked every single day. I I think there was 12 days off in 16 months when I first started there. 12 days. I remember all 12 of them. Because there's only 12 of them. We worked every single day except for like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, two two times. So that's four. Thanksgiving Day, twice. There's six. Um, I think we took off one Fourth of July. Um, w- 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 one day there on Fourth of July in the middle of the season. It wasn't the Fourth of July because we're in Daytona back yeah. then. But like I literally can count to 12 days where we were didn't go to the shop or the racetrack. So... My life was pretty busy back then. There's a lot of stuff I, I just can't, you know, I can't remember. And I just know that, that you know, you're just going building race cars, going to the racetrack. Racetrack, we did a lot of testing back then. It was, it was really unbelievable. I think we tested 26 times that year. That means you tested, we tested before every single race. Now, you're talking about that first year, 88. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Before every single race, except for the second Daytona, the second Talladega, second Pocono, second Michigan. Every other racetrack we tested before that race, whether it be a week or two or whatever before the race. So that's however many races we raced back then, 26 or 8, and we tested 20, uh, 24 times, and, and that would be an extra Talladega test and an extra Daytona test before the season even started. So. You you take all those tests plus the racing. It's a blur to me, but it was a ton of fun and we learned a lot. It was great. At what point did you feel like you actually belonged and that you had a purpose for being there and that you were actually contributing to the race team? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I I felt like after about it, you know, the about into the almost a year, you felt like you had the respect of the other guys you know what i mean and yeah i think that's you know it's no, no different than any other team you when you feel that from your teammates uh you kind of feel like you belong right it was it was hard i had to work real hard at it to make sure that i belonged right because it would have been easy to uh get pushed straight out pushed over i mean racing was pretty tough back then right the guys are pretty tough they're pretty rough around the edges they didn't give a crap you know what i mean it would be nothing to beat up on somebody, the kid. You know what I mean? Somebody's getting beat up on the race team, on every race team, right? <laughs> so you just didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. You know? How much were you able to lean on Robin for advice and help and 
you know, kind of giving you a, a direction, or did he pretty much throw you into the deep end of the pool and expect you to do your own thing and learn on your own? I don't, I don't know if it was throw me in the deep end. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you, you just, you're going there like you're going to school. And I think Robin and Steve both went to worked at Petty Enterprise. I mean, it's kind of the same way. You just go there and you watch and you learn and you, 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 you pick up on what they're doing, right? So you, you hang around with somebody and you say, you watch what they did. And then when you get a chance to do it, you do it, you do it like they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And try to do it better. And um, so once you start doing that, you start earning the respect. And then, you, you know, it, it's no different than any other job. Like you, you see somebody doing this job really well, you go, man, maybe he can take on this or maybe he can take on that, right? No different than picking up a welder. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, he can, oh, man, we'll let him weld up the oil tanks. You know what I mean? You got to earn that. At what point did you start expecting to win? Daytona 1988, or did that take some time? I think there was a few races we were getting pretty close. And then it it felt like it was, you got to, the old old saying, you got to lose some for it, you know. Yeah, yeah. uh, before you can win them, but it, it it was there. All of a sudden, when you didn't win and you should have won or could have won, then that's kind of when you're like, okay, when's it coming? And then I think we finally won. You know, we've been doing a lot of tire tests, and Goodyear was switching into um, bringing out the radial tire. And uh, I think we won. Rockin' I think, was our first win, if that's not, if not mistaken. Fallen 89. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. I, all of these times run together. Um, yeah, fall '89, finally won that race. I remember being super cold and and. Uh, uh, do you, was, what do you remember good, about the race in particular? Anything? No, it was it was really hard back then to, you know, if you're I was a tire guy. It was a, it was everything you could do to keep up with all that stuff back then. Um, you know whether and to do it at Rockingham. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's loud. It's it's uh, um, you know you're you're running through. You're pitting a lot. You're getting a, hitting a lot of you're getting a lot of tires uh, ready. It, like you're you're busy. Like you don't have time to even watch the race. You're organizing tires. You're sizing them up. You're pairing them. Up. You know what I mean? There was now. Were you actually going over the wall at that point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what were you um, doing? I was carrying tires. Okay. Um, my first job was they gave me the pit sign. First time I went over pit wall was probably the second race. That's at Atlanta, and I, I they let me hold the pit sign. And that was before they had them on poles. So you were out there on pit. Oh yeah, I tell you I, were I got, my, the hair standing up on my arms right now. Just think about it. I'll tell you a, a quick story. The, so you you hold the the sign was like you know it looks like a, a for sale sign in your front yard yeah. and it's got two pegs in it yeah. and you you hold uh, you hold it from the bottom you hold it above your head so it's just like a for sale sign in your front yard yeah. and you're holding you wave it to the guy so you you're holding it directly above your head now everybody's doing this right so in order for the driver to see you you got to be a little further out than than the guy in front of you going down pit road right and then he's got to get further. A little further so next thing you know you're out in the damn near in the middle of pit road and the we were coming up hit road, and um, and that, like I can't remember. The caution comes out, and Kyle Petty's on pit road, and he is hauling, but no pit road speed back then, right? And 
I'm kind of looking for looking for Mark, looking for Mark. I'm engine out there. Well, the the cosh comes out when they're on pit road, and Kyle gasps it up, and he hauls ass, and he wow. goes in between me and pit wall. I don't know about 120, with about seven feet of room and a six foot car. I mean, it it was like I said, it, it, that was 35 years, seven years ago, and my hair is still uh, stand up on my arms right now. Think about it. It was it was the coolest thing ever, <laughs> right? <coughs> and uh, I remember feeling the wind blow like it just about. Blew me over, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And uh, yeah, that was that was uh, you know pitting up, pitting the cars with with no pit road speed. That was, that was crazy. Uh, oh yeah, and, and you could jack a car up without a jack. You know, your adrenaline is so high back then because it's so violent. You know, I don't know where we're going with that, but that no, yeah, it, yeah, it, 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 it led me to that. You know, the, yeah. But anyway, so. You know, you're just busy back then. Um, you're, you're working off a lot. You don't have the same amount of people that you have now. You know, you're talking about you're talking about like six guys that are really doing everything um, on in, on uh, you know on a pit stop, and you had a couple volunteer guys come in. So it was really hard to watch and see what any, what what was going on there with you know with uh, you know during that race at, in uh, Rockingham. Afterward, what did it mean to win? You know, because you played basketball and you yeah. knew what it was to win and lose, and I, now you're a part of this deal. I think it's just to be. I think it was just really. You know, you're there. You're amongst them. They know. You know. You're you're, you're in the column of the ones that you got to beat every week, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that used to be the thing. You know, you go to the scoreboard and you. You know, there'd only be one scoreboard, really. You had to go see who's doing what. And there's a few people that you had to beat, right? You had to beat Earnhardt. You know, you had to beat Rusty. You know what I mean? Like, you, you wanted to be you, you wanted to be one of those five guys that when you said, hey, you know, who, yeah. who are you up against? You were one of those guys every time. Um, so uh, I, I felt like, yeah, I felt like that was like, hey, we're here. And then, uh, you know, it's for real, you know. All right, so you won that first race fall of 89, mm-hmm. and then spring of 90, you go to Richmond. Yep, the infamous Richmond race. Tell me everything you can remember. <laughs> well, from, from you know, Steve talked about Jack at Daytona the week before overseeing inspection and all that. and Yeah, that was really not my, my business, you know what I mean? I, you know, I wasn't... I mean, you're not in those conversations. You know, those conversations were going on. You know, I remember, you know, my version of it might not be exactly the same as Steve's. Yeah. Yeah. My version is not quite the same of how it was, you know, that, hey, just go put it on. We'll we'll worry about it later versus, you know, somebody did something we weren't supposed to be doing. Well, what's what's your version? Well, the version is, the reality is, I'm going to put my crew chief, my experienced hat on now. We didn't do a good job before we got there. Right. Now, I'm still 10, 15, whatever races into it. I'm just a kid. But now I'm looking at it. It wasn't prepared well going into that. And that's, that is on, that's on the motor side. That's on Jack Roush's side. Like, that's now, the stuff you, that. Now, are you saying it wasn't prepared? It was a mistake? 
or it wasn't hidden well enough. Well, it didn't well have enough. to happen. Okay. Like the rule says, okay. yeah. you can have it welded on, you just can't have it bolted on. A two-inch spacer, right? Mm-hmm. And it was what, two and a quarter? Yeah. I, uh, right. It's a yeah. quarter inch, I think. Well, yeah. we'll just call it. It was, it was yeah. bigger than it was supposed to be. But it, it's it's irrelevant to what it was. Like it, It's the height of the carburetor over the manifold. That's mm-hmm. what's important. That's why you do it. You add as much height there as you can. Uh, but the the manifold wasn't built properly. Otherwise, you wouldn't have needed to add the two inches. Is that yeah. mistaken, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's the problem. The problem was before we ever got there. Now, they're not going to say that back then. Jack's definitely not going to say that back then, right? Yeah. Um, he was not wrong about anything for a long time. Um, so... You know that it's a really a BS thing because there's a measurement, and you can't be over that measurement, and you put a spacer on to get to that maximum height. But they say it can only be a two-inch bolt-on, and it was two and a quarter. Like it's really, it has no real impact on what what that rule is. Like the if you built the thing properly, you wouldn't have needed that, right? Yeah. That spacer. So if you welded it on versus bolted on. It's it would be okay. So it's a it was it was a BS call. It was political. Whatever that is back then, you know, with the with the you know I don't know who it would have been. Probably Childress. Somebody didn't like it. And made a big made a big scene out of pretty much nothing, and then we end up losing the race, or you know, um, losing the championship, but. Um, you know, it was a, that was a great race, right? Um, you know, I think some of the other things we we ran the first part of the race with a cowl taped up completely because mm-hmm. it's so cold outside. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when we got that fixed, the car really came to life after that, yeah. right? But no, no people don't remember that. I, I don't know if you even know that. Maybe yeah. somebody told told that yeah. story, but yeah. So there was a lot of things we could have cleaned up back then. But it was all a good time. Um, what know. was your reaction to the penalty? You know, I I really didn't understand how important that was going to be at that time, right? I mean, um, it wasn't for me to worry about. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we, nobody liked it, right? It was, it was kind of upsetting, but... You know, I thought we were going to just keep going, rolling, and it wouldn't have mattered back then, right? But it, it matters. and uh, But it wasn't my spot. It yeah. wasn't up to me. Yeah. yeah, My job is just to do what I'm supposed to do and do a good job and not worry about that. And uh, that's what I did. How disappointing was it to lose that championship? And how big a factor was that penalty later on in the season? Did you still – Say well, you know if yeah, you're doing NASCAR. the math a lot. Yeah, you're yeah. doing the math a lot. Yeah, we'd be here, we'd be there. Um, but uh, like I said, I think we just you know from in my mind, it wasn't for me to be worried about that. My you know I want to be focused on doing the best job as I can for the guys, and you know it's disappointing, no, without a doubt. But like, it's more disappointing now. Than it was then. That makes sense. Oh yeah, makes perfect. I was just a kid back then. Like, okay, we didn't win that one. We'll go win the next one. Yeah, you know, like, um, so, 
uh, yeah, it's more disappointing now than it was then, I'd say. Okay. So, 1990 happens. Uh, you start 1991, and you go to Atlanta, and all hell breaks loose on a pit stop. Uh-huh. What do you remember? Well, you know, like I said, I was doing a lot of stuff back then. I was carrying tires, doing tires. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of lots of tires, right? Scuffed tires, sticker mm-hmm. tires. Um, Hoosier tires, a lot of things going on. And um, we were getting ready to go over the wall, coming on pit road, and you know, adjusting air pressure constantly, keeping up with the tires. There was a, well, we'll start with go over the pit wall, make an adjustment. I hesitate, go back to the with the wedge wrench. They drop the jack takes off and the wedge wrench is in the car. All hell broke loose. Now, what was your reaction when you saw that car taken out of the pits and I was sick. Absolutely, absolutely sick. And things that people don't remember and we've never even talked about it. This is a bad deal it happened. But I think people could have done a better job. They changed the call from one from one round to two rounds, and right as it's going across pit wall, I'm carrying tires, carrying the wedge wrench in my mouth. I was prepared for one move, went around, carried the tires, hung the tire in the right rear, went to the wedge wrench, did what I was originally supposed to do. That was the plan, the play. Yeah, yeah. And it changed the play as we we're going across pit wall, and it reg- didn't register until I. Did it? I was like, "Oh, I was supposed to do another one," and uh, that's when it, you know, dropped the jack and and uh, and took off. So, uh, I'd have been better off not doing a good job, right? Um, for that scenario. So, yeah, all hell broke all hell broke loose. But it was, you know, the things that you see isn't just what you see. There was other things that proceeded in there, right? Best and worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. So. Okay, all right. I'm just going to ask, and you can answer or not answer. Did Jack actually have you in a headlock? That's what they say. I don't remember it. What do you say? Yeah, he's, he's, he, he snatched me around. It, it registered like nothing to me. Like, I played sports my whole life. Like, you get yelled at by the coach. You didn't do something you're supposed to do. Okay. You didn't run, you didn't run the play right, whatever. It looked like I didn't run the play right, but the yeah. play was changed as we're jumping over pit wall. Yeah, you know, it's, it that happened more times than not. And then, but you know, there was time. There the other times I was capable of pulling that off. Um, you know, if I wasn't good enough, they wouldn't have been able to call that at that at that point in time. There was other races that that happened, and I still pulled that off. That was just the one case where, you know, I'm getting f- this set of tires ready, this set of tires ready, inner liners, getting all, you know, carrying tires, wedge wrench, hanging a tire. Yeah, like, there was a yeah. lot of stuff going on. Yeah, and um, and, to, and to make that call that late, that's a mistake. That's just as much on Steve as it is me, in my opinion. Yeah, 
yeah. playing sports or anything else. Like, yeah. you know, that was an audible as the ball was snapped. So, no. So the it's just easy. Hey, I'm the kid. It's just as easy to go like, hey, that's what that was, you know. So the next day you got let go. Yeah. What was your reaction? Did you go to Robin and say, or did Robin was he the one that let you go? I think it was Steve. I think it was Steve. It was Steve. Um, but that was a you know. Like I said, that was probably that was a bad day. All that happened, but um, I think my work ethic got me through to the next job. Uh, I went the next week. Robert Yates hired me, and that was awesome. Loved it. Unbelievably loved loved what I was doing for uh, Yates Racing. So you said a moment ago that it was the best thing that happened to you and the worst thing that happened to you. I can understand worst. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the best because you wound up at Yates. Well, two things. One, I didn't have didn't I didn't have to work under my brother, right? Yeah. I didn't have to work. Even Steve Meal. I mean, Steve, we were family friends, right? I mean, I, um, so all that was that's good. I wanted to continue to be friends, but you know, it, it gave me opportunity to do something completely on my own. Mm-hmm. At, you know prove my worth um and going to yates was a, a a great opportunity to um it was just a great opportunity to do something different sometimes you don't really know like i, I only worked for yates for a couple or for roush for a couple of years i didn't really under know the scope of what i knew and what i have learned okay i didn't know i didn't know what the volume of that was because i had nothing to judge it against when i got to yates I realized all the things that I could do and do well. And um, I think that's what, you know, that propelled me to do even even more. I was I was scared when I got there because I didn't know if I was going to be good enough. And I, quick, I think I quickly proved that I was. When did you go to Roberts? Immediately? Uh, yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, next week. So you were there basically all of 90, well, most of 91. That's correct. And then 92. Yeah. What was your impression of Larry McReynolds when he came in? Because he wasn't there when you came in. He had just got there. Okay. All he right. had, he, he, I think he just started, like, yeah, he, he had just got there. Okay. Yeah. What was your impression of him? Oh, Larry, man, what a uh, detailed guy, hardworking just super, super dedicated, um, it, you know, almost to a fault, in my opinion, in some ways. Um, but he, yeah, uh, he was a good guy. Another person to learn from, and um, you know, the, 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 all of them were a good group. I mean, Robert Yates was the most awesome person that I think I've ever been around. So there was a lot of good stuff going on there at the time. This podcast has been brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. Rick, we certainly want to offer our condolences to the Pemberton family. They have experienced losses before, 
And this has got to be very, very tough on him indeed. Ryan, rest in peace, brother.